Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. At the beginning of 2020's pandemic lockdown, a post went viral on Facebook. It was actually from a few years before, but it resonated with people who were trying to understand what was happening and how life was changing for them. The author of that post, John Rodell, never expected to be a writer, much less have a viral post. He started talking to God on paper as a sort of Facebook comedy act based in a crisis of faith. After a while, though, the conversations got deeper and people started noticing. We talk about what it's like to write messages from a deity, especially the myriad expectations people bring to that work, the mystery of where they come from, and that John's not trying to teach anyone religion or anything else, and what happens when you live your life by the improv rule, yes and. John and I also read two of his pieces for you, one from the very beginning and the one that went viral. There's a lot to chew on here, and you'll definitely want to check out the links in the show notes when you're done. I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with John Rodell. John Rodell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. You know, I've actually been thinking about contacting you about, for the podcast for a couple months, and I only sort of got up the nerve, what, like six weeks ago or something. So I'm glad that we're making this happen because I... I am not a longtime Facebook follower because I don't really do Facebook, though I know you've been posting on there for a while. I sort of encountered you almost by accident a couple months ago and was just kind of completely blown away. And so I've been really, really curious to get an inside view on how it is that you ended up writing notes to God. But before we get there... I'm curious to know, like, were you writing, did you write as a kid? Did you always have a tendency in that direction? Or was this all uh, a complete surprise? That, that's a really good question. Uh, any guidance counselor, English teacher, academic person I've ever bumped into throughout my career, whether it be kindergarten through college, would be blown away that I could write a single sentence that actually made any sense. Um, I always liked reading. I read all the Hardy Boy books. I, I loved reading. I loved mysteries. But I never really had designs on being a writer. It just, it always felt like something that was for people beyond my capabilities. So, no, it wasn't something I had designs on ever i it, it's i stumbled upon it i'm not trained to be a writer i didn't i got passing grades in english that was about it mm -hmm. my uh, my college advisor told me i was maybe one of the lowest had the lowest intellect of any student he had ever drugged through his college experience so, i uh I was I was a little bit of a i'm a little bit of a, uh, a character uh so i <laughs> i i, I, I I, I grew up in a family of scientists. My dad is a pharmacist, was a pharmacist. His dad before him was a pharmacist, and his dad before him was a pharmacist. And they opened up a drugstore here in my little town of Cheyenne, Wyoming, in 1886. And it stayed open until 2008. And so I grew up in a family. My mom was an old, like one of those old school teachers in a single room classroom with a ruler. And my older brother works as, at Xbox, building Xboxes. He's an electrical engineer. Everyone in my house was mathematicians. And 
I just was kind of the oddball. And so I didn't really take academics or career or anything very seriously at all. Um, and so my stumbling upon my writing just kind of happened about five years ago in the middle of a lot of self-doubt and um, faith crisis. And I just, my only skill set I really think I have, aside, I can make risotto. I can make a really <laughs> mean risotto. But the only other thing I, I love doing is I like being on stage making people laugh. And I had, when I was in college, I had designs of moving to Second City and doing stand-up comedy or whatever. And then life got kind of in the way and that never really happened. So I, I but here in Cheyenne, I, I do try, we, I created a little sketch and comedy group here in town with some friends and I love being on stage and I love making people laugh. So one day I just decided I'm going to poke fun at this faith crisis and this doubt I have and and I started having these little fictional conversations with God. And it just kind of blossomed from there. And I'm as surprised as anyone. Fair enough. Before we get into that, I want to talk about the improv. Yeah. How did you find improv? Uh, well, like, like anything that I grew up with, anything I, 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 I discovered in life, I discovered by watching TV. One of my role models growing up was 80s television. I watched all sorts of television growing up. Um, my parents were older. My brother was older than me. So by about six or seven o'clock at night, I would just find myself in a little room with a TV being raised by a Saint Elsewhere or <laughs> Magna P.I. or whatever was on the television that night. But I remember I fell in love with Saturday Night Live and comics and Robin Williams and all of that as like a sixth or seventh grader. And so from that point on, I realized I love making, I love the idea of laughter. And it just felt, it was my way of connecting to people. And my body type is more of like more penguin than anything else. And I knew <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to get a girlfriend or be the captain of the, of, I wasn't going to be the captain of the football team or anything like that. But I could make people laugh. I wasn't charming or dashing, but I could get in front of a group of people and make them giggle at lunch. And so I kind of took that seriously. And then when I got older in life, as you know, uh, whose line is it anyway? My wife and I in our honeymoon, uh, we there was some we saw some improv in Orlando, Florida, that I was like, wow, these people are geniuses. They can just get up on stage and they can turn a three suggestions into a 30-minute song. And I thought that is amazing. And I, I kind of fell into it from there. And then the theory of improv, which the one rule, as you know, is yes and. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to say yes to what's happening. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And I've really fallen into that yes and philosophy of improv just through, through my whole life. I've been, in, and I didn't realize I've been improvising since I was born. Um, I don't really have a plan. As you trying to book me onto your show here, <laughs> I'm not the most organized person, but I say yes to it, and then I figure it out as we go. Um, and that's what happened with Hey God, Hey John. I just started doing, I read in this post, I said yes to it, and I just kept saying yes every time I showed up to it without any designs or plans. I have no Machiavellian plan or design as my 
at my poor guidance counselor in college would tell you, I didn't really have any ambitions. I don't have lifelong plans or goals. I just show up and say yes to it and see what happens. You know, it, it's fascinating to me that, that you've made a way of life out of that because I interviewed a friend of mine in January of 2020 who also has done a lot of improv and has started her own theater company, which I'm hoping will still be starting through the pandemic. Um, and, and we had a long conversation about how you could do a lot worse in your life than to run it by yes and. Yeah, yeah. And, the, I, and looking back, there's been millions of these little moments, these crossroads that all you're really being asked to do is just accept what's happening. Like, I can be on stage, my entire, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit, my, my family wanted me to have a job or a career where in college I would say, this is what my career is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I never really could just decide, this is who I want to be. I didn't want to choose that because I thought, I'm just going to regret it later. If I choose, I'm going to be a teacher at 22, at 44. I just knew I, that wouldn't be for me. Mm -hmm. I like the idea. So my entire life, I have just, without even knowing the SM philosophy, just said, I'm going to be whatever I'm going to be in that day. And in improv, you might go on stage and be like, oh, I, I'm going to do this amazing impression of Jimmy Carter. I'm going to be the best Jimmy Carter impersonator ever. And then the crowd wants to get a suggestion that you're a cow in space. You've got to <laughs> let go of that Jimmy Carter impression and be become that cow floating in space. And you've got to jump into it with everything you have and not worry about it and let go of your ego a little bit. I might be a terrible cow in space, but I'm going to throw my entire heart into it. And that's kind of how this has gone for me. Um, my wife and I met when we were in high school. Um, and she said, hey, we should get married. And I just said, yes, okay, without really knowing <laughs> what that meant or what would happen. Um, you know, and then she said, we should have kids. And I said, okay, yeah. And without, I never really thought of being a father. But now, because I said yes to those things, my life is, is I, I'm, I'm surrounded by people I love. Um, so it's just kind of, I, I try to treat it like an adventure, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that if you haven't ever done improv, you might not be aware of the fact that going between going from, I'm going to do the best Jimmy Carter ever to I'm going to be a cow in space. You probably get maybe two seconds yep. to make that switch in your head. Yep. It's not yep. like you have three weeks to go and say, what would right. a cow in space do? Right. Right. And you've got to figure it out as you go along and you've got to be willing to fail. And the part of the trick is realizing there's people in the audience that are actively kind of rooting for you to fail a little bit. And that's okay because you can wink at the audience and say, Hey, I'm figuring this out along with you. And that's kind of how I look at adulthood. I mean, there's plenty of people my age, all my people I might bump into at a party or people I know from college who are doctors and they're driving fancy cars and they're talking about, oh, what do you do with life? And I talk about, well, sometimes I get on Facebook and I write conversations between me and quote unquote God. And they're like, okay, that's a crazy way to live your life. And, and I kind of wink at them and say, yeah, I'm not necessarily successful in what I was told success looked at like when I was 20 years old. 
but I feel connected to a purpose, you know, that I didn't have five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because this also came up in, in that same conversation with, with Jennifer Nasta Zafuti, that you have to figure out what your definition of success is. You know, for some people, it's the corner office and the car and the house and whatever. But that's not what it is for all of us. Right. Uh, and that's just kind of letting go. Um, and I struggle with that. I mean, probably I, I fell into writing because I was struggling with identity and purpose. I I had designs of doing other things with my life. I mean, not designs, but I, I had, I thought maybe I would be out of, the, I'm living in the same town I grew up in. And I always wanted to leave, but there was always reasons for me to stay here. And 10 years ago, I was really struggling with that. This is not where I should be. Look at all these other people that are quote unquote more successful. Look at them. Their Instagram feed is a lot more pretty than mine. It, it, they look a lot more happy and they're doing great things. And here I am still figuring out who I am. So I doubted this yes and philosophy, um, this, this kind of making it up as you go along. But until I said yes to the, I said yes to the right moment, and then things started clicking for me. I think it was just I just kept showing up every day, saying yes. Um, a couple of years ago, you know, when I first started writing these little conversations, I realized how crazy this looked, and I I wanted to just write these little funny little misses between me and and God, just to kind of poke fun at you know faith and self help culture and all of that a little bit. And the more I started writing them, the more I started becoming more vulnerable. And I was sharing parts of my life that weren't necessarily funny. I was sharing parts of my life that were, made me look sad. And that's not what a comic or anyone who wants to make someone laugh does. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of doubt. Um, but the more I showed up and the more I said yes to these conversations, the more people seemed to seem to appreciate them and say, hey, I know I struggle with this as well. I, you know, I feel the same way too. I have the struggle with my own spirituality or my own faith life as well. And the more I started sharing those pieces of me, the more other people were felt comfortable sharing their pieces. And I've learned more from other people than I probably have, you know, helped other people come to understand. That's such a classic teachery thing to say. I taught for a while and I learned more from my kids. I'm convinced yeah. than they learned from me. Right. And it's because you show up and you, we're kind of all in this together. Um, you know, I, I don't profess myself as any kind of guru or spiritual being. I'm not evangelizing. And early on, I had a lot of people want to use what I was writing and say, hey, this isn't in the Bible. Hey, God doesn't <laughs> talk like that. And I had a lot of struggle with people and people who wanted me to be more evangelical with these conversations. And I was like, no, God, I don't even refer to God with any pronouns. God is whatever people want that word to mean for them. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. This is just me showing up, talking about what's going on, and God and I sort it out together. And a lot of people who follow these posts are atheists. And they'll write me and say, hey, you know, I'm God, or, you know, or they're, they're talking about themselves, that they're God, or their consciousness is God, or whatever. And that's fine. I, I don't really, whatever someone wants to have God be in these conversations, I'm just happy that 
they're spawning along. Yeah, I I think that's that's really the key, right? As long as you're connecting with something, you must be doing it right. Well, I I, I have learned I have I have three teenagers, and I've learned that I've learned to lose my ego. Anytime <laughs> I, I I don't have any. I'm not I'm not doing this to anything I write. I don't write to try to impress anybody. And I think early on, I tried to, I, when I, when I first started writing about five years ago, I wanted to impress people I think at the beginning. And it, you might notice that early on in the book, or even when I first, I would try to have be more funny. And I really wanted people to think, oh, he's funny. And slowly throughout these conversations, and I've written about 17 to 2000 of them, 17 to 2000 of them now, that the, the less I get out of the way and take my ego out of the way or concern of what other people think I uh, think about me or have expectations of me, the better I feel people connect to it. And so, yeah. That makes sense to me. And and I'm also intrigued that you say, you know, you've had atheists who contact you and, and really connect with it. Because I, I just saw a headline the other day on an article that I didn't read. And now I wish I had. Um, that said that atheists are much more spiritual than you would think. Oh, yeah. No, I've had, they're very much more open-minded. Like the atheists, and I might, there might be a better word for atheism than that, for atheists and that, but they, they're not closed-minded. A lot of them just say, hey, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's okay. And that's what I've learned is I grew up in a Catholic household. I, in fact, I worked at a Catholic church 20-some years ago, um, I, I grew up with a very strict kind of Catholic teaching that these are the hoops, these are the, this is the rituals, these are the things you go through. And I still find that, I still find value in those, um, those things, but they're not, I found it to be a little bit more open-ended mm -hmm. and I found it to be a little bit more, well, I don't know. And it's okay to say, I don't know when it comes to our spirituality and God. I mean, we're on this rotating planet in the middle of space, endless space next to a burning fireball. And everybody <laughs> acts like they know everything about God or spirituality or any of this. It's like, how do you know anything? We're kind of all these little creatures scurrying around right. down here. How can you be so sure? And I used to ask that of Catholic priests all the time. I'd ask, how can you be so certain? It's not faith then, it's certainty. How can you be certain of these things? And that is a question I can never really get reconciled. And that's probably shows up as quite a bit of a theme in my writings is, I don't know. I'm not trying to tell anybody anything. A lot of times I'm just trying to ask questions. And sometimes God, you know, a lot of times God doesn't answer them, but God just tells me that these questions are okay in these conversations. And I think it's okay to ask questions. And atheists ask the best questions. Are there any questions that, that they've asked you that have stuck out? Oh, yeah. Um, well, the one, and I, I will tell people I don't answer. Like, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not trying to answer any of these questions, but there's questions of, and it's the age-old cliche question of, if God exists, why do bad things happen? Mm. Why, you know, or why, if I'm, if I'm praying for my son to not to be, or my daughter or whatever, or my loved one to not have cancer anymore, why does my prayer go unanswered, but my neighbors down the street, it, theirs doesn't, they, theirs does get answered. Like, why is there inequity when it comes to, you know, what God does and how God would intervene? 
And those are questions I can't answer. The only thing I can say to that is, I believe that all suffering has a purpose. And I think all of our lives have our own individual adventure and theme behind them and track. And to honor our suffering and the trials that we go through and as a gift. And I try to, and I've, I've been through my share of suffering and my share of heartbreak and my share of setbacks. And I try to say, well, I don't know that God is intentionally listening or not listening to those things. I don't know that God is just ignoring my pleas to make my life easier, or God is intentionally just putting these obstacles in my, in my way. I don't know. But what I do know is that there is, I always do feel connected to some sort of source, to some sort of love that is with me and present with me during those moments. And that's what I try to focus on is I don't know the answer to those questions, except I think we are all loved. And so, but yeah, no, I get a lot of great questions. And early on, I get a lot of people challenging. Early on, I got a lot of evangelicals challenging me on things. And I would tell them, please don't follow me if you're thinking I'm going to be some sort of Joel Austin mm-hmm. kind of conversion person. I'm not trying to convert people to any way of thinking. I'm just trying to share my experience and have an open dialogue with, quote, God, unquote. Did they accept that or were they no. hard? I, yeah. Uh, hard, hard time. Uh, and that's okay. And, you know, I, and I certainly don't judge them for that. Uh, but some people want, like to have an instruction booklet where, okay, mm-hmm. here's, here's the book I got. And, you know, God, this is a, the Bible or the catechism or whatever religious tome someone has. And they say, this is my, this is my blueprint for how I survived this crazy experience of life. And for me, I struggle with that because I don't know, like we have a hard time coming up with tax code as humans or coming up <laughs> with uh, uh, health insurance or things like that. I don't understand how we, that. yeah, we can, we can screw all that up, but we have this perfect book that will get us through everything else. So just rely on this book. And that works for a lot of people. And that's awesome. But for me, I always question who wrote this and where did these things come from? Um, so I have to experience my faith. I can't read things in a book that make me feel better. I, I feel better about myself, and I, I feel more connected to God, I should say, in interacting with humans and being around people and having experiences and having conversations and not reading something that was written a thousand years ago. Yeah. And and you you kind of did, of all the things that you could have picked of all the, the beings you could have picked to write to, you did sort of pick the one with the most potential to be a hot button. <laughs> right, right. So again, it goes into like, I had no plans. Like if I was really smart, I would have like picked an easier character, like an easier person in our in our culture to just be like, oh yeah, well, I have nothing to say about this. No, everyone has something to say about God, which is amazing. Um, and it's a, it's a triggering word, God. Uh, it can trigger people to good emotions and negative emotions or scary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, had I thought about it and just said, Hey, I could sell more books. If it's just like, Hey, invisible being, Hey, John, but I chose <laughs> the word God um, or Hey, you know, conscious or whatever, because that's, that's kind of how I, I guess it's probably my cultural background, my, my background that made me use that word. And I, I never really thought anyone else would care. Uh, like I said, I started writing them over Lent when 
about five years ago, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do 40 of these posts, and God and I are going to argue about Big Brother or why I shouldn't wear skinny jeans or whatever the silly thing God and I would talk about. And then at the end of Lent, I'll just stop and move on to something else to annoy my friends and family on Facebook with. And I didn't really think anyone would care that I would just make my my poor wife, you know, shrug her shoulders and shake her head while she read these posts. But it, it, yeah, it, it just kind of blossomed despite me. Clearly. But I think sometimes those are the best things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to tell you, and you know, people have asked me, it's like, oh, wow, you must have really, really thought this through. It's like, no, I'm reckless. I'm, I just said yes, and I just started doing it. And I'm trying to build this train as it's running down the track. Um, and, the, you know, and a lot of my writing has kind of shifted into poetry over the last couple of years. And that is completely accidental as well. I, I'm not, I never read poetry growing up. I didn't. I didn't particularly like it. I, I probably got D pluses whenever the poetry union would come up in high school. It didn't really appeal to me. But in these conversations with God, God started replying to me almost lyrically, almost poetically back. And it kind of emerged from there. And that has been something that has been definitely beyond my understanding. That was a question I was going to ask you, actually, was how the poetry started to happen. And and you just, I mean, how much time do you spend now writing to God versus writing poetry? Um, That's a really good question. I probably, it's now 50-50. Okay. Um, and before it had been 90-10, where I was having these, uh, these conversations are starting to become solely poetic, I would say. Uh, and I, I feel like it's still, whatever... And again, I don't, I don't at all contend that I'm connecting to, I, I, some people would get on and say, no, I'm speaking to God or I'm speaking to source or I'm speaking to spirit. And I maybe could be, I, I think I would be the worst person that God or source or spirit or whatever one's one would choose to talk to. Um, but some, but, but I feel like some of these responses when I write are coming from maybe a place inside of myself that are undiscovered. Um, that maybe were placed there when I was created or born or something. There's a layer to me that I didn't know existed. And so when I was having these conversations with God, with Hey God, Hey John, I was discovering parts of myself and my heart that were uncharted. And that's still happening with the poetry. Um, I just feel like some of the middle ground of me and God having pleasantries at the beginning are kind of disappearing and now we're cutting to the chase and just getting straight to the poetry. Mm. And that's kind of what I like is we're past formalities, me and God, in these conversations. <laughs> we're past the pleasantries of, hey, how are you doing? I mean, as you'll probably see in some of these conversations, like the first third of them, or sometimes me and God sit down at Perkins talking about whatever. And then we get into what the post is, what, the, what I'm really talking about. And now with poetry, we're just getting, we're just cutting to the chase. And I'm not even, I don't feel like there's any me talking. It's just God giving a response to whatever mm -hmm. unspoken is happening in my heart. And yeah, and that's, and I, I definitely don't write these, whether it's poetry or Hey God posts, as like a prescription to say, here are the answers for you. I always write these or I don't even really know what they're about until I start writing them as you could, as any book critic or literary person read in these posts, like I said, we kind of got and I will beat around the bush and then we cut to it. Um, but now I, 
I write, I, I write purely out of emotion. I don't know where, I don't know what the poster is going to be out or what a poem is going to be about, but I just know how I feel. And I sit in that emotion and I sit in that sentiment and I kind of lay down in it. And I always have this little visual, visualization I do. It's like I'm laying down in the river and I can be happy. I can be excited about something. And so I, I let that excitement and joy overwhelm me as if you're laying down in a stream and letting it wash all over you. And then I write from that. Um, if I'm grieving or I'm sad or I'm depressed, I lay down in that sadness and depression for a little bit and let it overwhelm me. And then I write from there without saying, oh, here's a great line or here's something really amazing that people are going to think are, is, is truly remarkable. No, I just write straight from how I feel. Um, and it's very, it's very guttural. It's very instinctual. It's not, it's not intellectual, I don't think. I think that's why people connect with it so much. Maybe. At first, I thought it was just they felt sorry for me. <laughs> and that they were, and, you know, at first, when I was writing this post, I mean, being a, I live in a small town, and I'm a man, and writing about emotions and feelings is not some, I live in Wyoming, and it's very much cowboy country here. It's very much, you know, if you have a scar, keep it to yourself if you're hurt, you know. Therapy isn't necessarily something that is everyone talks about here uh, or advocates for necessarily all the time. Um, men are supposed to be stoic and strong. And I was doing things on social media that was the antithesis of that. I could have written these posts and hit them in a shoebox. Mm -hmm. But the more people started connecting with them, the more I thought, well, maybe one person will feel the exact same thing or will understand what I'm feeling. And they will be like, okay, no, someone else feels that way too. So I don't feel alone. And yeah, it, 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 and so I, I thought at first, I thought people just thought I was having a nervous breakdown, which probably is true. Um, but the more, I, the more I wrote and the more vulnerable I got, the more I seemed like I connected with people I've never even met before. And it's, it's, it's been a remarkable experience. I'm an introvert. Like I love to perform. Um, I'd, love, I'd rather be on stage in front of 100 people than in a cocktail party with 10. Um, is kind of my makeup. And I, and so sharing these parts of my life, I would never do if I was sitting down with five people in a coffee, if we're at a book club, and all of a sudden the topic of depression came up, would I be sitting around with all these people talking about my, my terrors or my innermost thoughts or the things that keep me up? And I probably not. But when I do it on paper, I feel like it's my calling to put it out there so other people can read it and feel, oh, good, I'm not alone. That's amazing, because so many people would not do that at all. They'd stick it in the shoebox. Right, and that's maybe advisable. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, who knows? Uh, again, no plan. Uh, you know, I, de I definitely do live in a small town, and I have friends and family that probably, uh, like, behind closed doors, like, I don't know if he's okay. And certainly early on in these posts, once I really got into the meat of these conversations with God, we tackled some pretty tough things with my own mental health or anxiety or doubt in the existence of God or things like that that people don't necessarily talk about. It's stuff that had stigmas attached to them. Um, so I, I just had to let go of worrying about what other people thought. And the more, I, the more I've done that, 
the better it's gotten. And I think that's true for any art form you do, whether it's, you know, dance or art, you know, painting or whatever, you've got to let go of what people expect of you. Yeah, for sure. Which I think is a super, super hard thing for most of us to do. But I think you're absolutely right. You can't channel that kind of energy if you're worried about it the whole time. Right, right. And, you know, I can't worry about, my gosh, what would my parents thought? Or what does my uncle whatever think? Or what does my former roommate in college think? And I think, what is the one person out there who's having a terrible day think? What is the one person out Mm. there who is going through the exact same thing I went through at this moment? What do they need? Uh, it's really not ego driven. Um, you know, being a self published author is not, you know, not, no one's making a million dollars here. I'm no. lucky if I can earn, I can earn a haircut, um, is my goal. And <laughs> so it's not, I, I really don't feel, and I post all my stuff on Facebook immediately. Again, when I talk to creative writing students, I'm like, don't follow what I'm doing. I po- I'll write things and I'll post it to Facebook even before I edit it. I'll just write it, I'll mash it out with my penguin thumbs on my phone and put it on Facebook and I'll let it sit there for a while before I even look at it Um, for two reasons. One, because if I don't put it on Facebook immediately, I'll talk myself out of it Mm -hmm. and then I'll just put it away in that shoebox. And two, it does help me crowdsource editors (laughs) because I'll have people write and say, oh, wait, no, you, you used the wrong word there. Or you just spelled that. I'm like, oh, great. You just saved me $100. Wow. Um, and that's, you know, so anything I write, it's usually I've written within the last five minutes. It's not something I've thought out and wrote down in a notebook and hemmed and hawed over and crossed things out. I just write it and immediately I'll just feel compelled to post it immediately and let it sit for a while. Um, and I thought I'll do that until people just get sick of it and stop, you know, just stop responding altogether. Um, and that's probably my plan. And it's not great for if you're worried about copyright. It's not great if you're worried about um, people thinking, wow, you're sharing, oversharing a little bit of yourself. Um, so that's why you just have to let that go. Wow. Was it hard to let that go? Uh-huh. Um, yes. Yeah. You, it's hard to let go of the fact that people might not think you have your life together. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to let go of, you know, being a man who's talking about his heartbreak or grief or sadness or anything like that without worrying about what well, you're not, you're not supposed to talk like that. You're not supposed to say things like that. You're not supposed to question the existence of God on Facebook. And that's not why Mark Zuckerberg created social media. <laughs> he wanted us to all hit on each other and post our amazing vacation pictures and I, I weaponized. I wasn't doing that. I was, I was, I was doing something different with it. Um, and I wasn't really writing to promote. Here's my, you know, recently over the last couple of months, I've tried to promote anything I've done for marketing, and I'm like a monkey trying to market. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, it's only been recently I've just said, well, I better at least let people know I have a book. <laughs> that might be that might be like an adult thing an adult would do. But, you know, there's plenty of writers out there who use their social media as a way of being like, here's my work and, you know, here's how mm-hmm. you buy my products. That's still not how I experience my experience with social media and how why I post things on Facebook. I post things on Facebook as a way of feeling I can help one other person out there. And maybe at the same time, like writing isn't therapy, 
but it's therapeutic for me. Yeah. And yeah. when I write something, I'm usually writing from something that I, I have an open wound or something inside of me that needs still to be untangled and not inside of me that needs to be untangled. And part of that process is bearing myself out to the public. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but before we get too far away from it, I'm really yeah. curious to know if, because as you said, you know, we don't expect men to be vulnerable with this kind of thing. And a lot of the time we don't tolerate men being vulnerable with emotional stuff. Has there been an element of the reaction that reflects that? Like, do, are there guys who just like rip you apart for this or, or even women? Cause we're not necessarily any better or I'm wondering how that's fallen out. I do. I do get some um, pushback. Uh, most of the, if, most of the things I get from guys are they'll talk to me, they'll bump into me at the grocery store and they'll say things like, I really like that post or whatever, what you were talking about there. I, you know, I understand, but they would never, ever, I would say, I would never, ever say that on Facebook. I would never, ever do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get a lot of that. I do get some of, I, I, I do get some pushback from people who want me to prescribe, who, who want me to say, okay, you said all these things about how you feel and how your heart feels, but where's the self-help in that? Where's, how do I use that to transform myself? And I would say then I'm the last person to ever explain anything like that. I leave my cell phone in the freezer at least once a week when I'm going to get something, I'll replace it with my cell phone. I am not a smart person. I'm not here for that. I'm here to just pose these emotional prompts um, and these and these things for you to think about. And, and those are just based on what's going on inside of me. Um, but I do have, I, I think, I, I do have some family members, not necessarily, I, so our, my, our oldest son, uh, years and years ago, was diagnosed with autism about, Oh, being now. he's 20 now. It's like 18 years ago. And 18 years ago, the world's view of autism was more or less from the movie Rain Man with Dustin mm-hmm. Hoffman and um, Tom Cruise. I didn't really know anything about autism at the time. And certainly here in Wyoming, we weren't necessarily a progressive hotbed for <laughs> um, treating people living with autism. And so I remember early on, I had family members tell me, don't tell your, don't tell the teachers, don't tell the doctors, don't tell anybody about it because it's going to put the stigma on him and on you and the whole family. And I remember at the time being scared to tell anybody about it because of that, because people, their first reaction was, it's a, you know, back then, you know, if someone had a special needs or had a cognitive delay or disability they were living with, you kind of tucked them away and kind of just like everyone shushed about it. And that was just the, you know, interesting kid down the block. No one really talked about that person. And it was definitely, that was definitely part of my coding for his first couple of years as we kind of whispered about it. Mm-hmm. But the more, the more I real, and the more we talked about it with other people and we shared our experience of raising a child living with autism, the more it seemed like, the, the less scary it was and the less stigma attached to it it was. And so the more we talked about it with people, the better I felt about his autism. The more I shared about this is how scary it is as a parent to have a child who's living, can't, who's five years old and can't speak, and who compared to other five-year-olds looks like he's from a different planet. And here I am 
and I'm grieving for him while he's right here in front of me. Mm-hmm. There's these conflicts of emotions and things like that that I was not prepared to deal with. But talking about it with other people made me feel better. And that's definitely probably, I never thought about it before, but when I, I came to writing these Hey God, Hey John posts years later, it was definitely that same kind of thing. The more I talked about these things, the less scary they are. Yeah. The more I, the more I talked about depression or feeling worthless and these things that we all feel at one time in our life, the less of a scarlet letter I feel like I'm carrying around. Yeah. I think that's true pretty much for everybody. Just, I mean, not that I can speak for everybody, but just, you know, anything, anything you try to hide away, you're giving power to. And yeah, it was just, and so early on, it was just when I, when I started really embracing writing, I, I just thought, you know, aside from people knowing what color underwear I wear, it's <laughs> going to be like, I'm just going to be open um, and I'm not going to be perfect. And I'm not going to be a person who's like, this is how you get through it. I don't know how we get through it, except we listen to one another and we look out for one another and we just give each other space and we don't try to scare each other into believing what we believe. And that's kind of what my writing is, I think, is about. It's just, I don't know anything about this existence, but I think it's beautiful. And I think it's an adventure. And I think even the worst parts of our story, I mean, in movies, some of the best parts of any movie are like the moments where everything looks like all is lost and everything Mm -hmm. is terrible. And we have those times in our life we reach those crossroads with things, man, it's just not going to get better and things look dire. And in those moments, there's so many beautiful things that happen to us that we don't recognize happening until five or six years later. We look back at it and say, wow, this person came out of nowhere at the right time or this thing yes, happened or whatever. Is. And it's these little miracles. And so I just, I think I'm just trying to write about that, about life is beautiful. It's hard. It's scary. It's terrifying. I don't know anything about it. I'm just, I'm just this idiot putting my cell phone in the freezer, but man, it's a wonderful experience. And, you know, I think we don't recognize that enough. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe we should all put our cell phones in the freezer by accident more often. If it helps right, us to right. see that kind of thing, yeah. and it, maybe that would be a good and thing. It definitely makes for interesting conversations with your cell phone, cell phone provider when they have to document <laughs> their cell phone in the year when they think I'm some sort of cell phone. <laughs> Um, some sort of scam. I'm selling cell phones and then freeze. I don't know what they think, but yeah, I mean, and that's kind of probably what has stymied a little bit of my writing career is I'm not, I'm, you know, at one point I was in conversations with Hay House. They want, I was part of a Hay House writing group and I was contacted by them mm-hmm. and they're like, these are really beautiful pieces. Can you put them in like a 12 or 15 or 20 step kind of thing that gives like a kind of a, a roadmap? to someone feeling better about themselves. And I was like, I don't think anyone can really do that for another person. I think everyone's got their own journey and their own jungle to get through. And I'm not qualified to do that. And so they're like, well, okay, we're gonna find someone who is qualified to do that. And that's great, but that's not really what I'm about. Yeah, and and, you know, when when you mentioned before that, that it's not therapy, but it is therapeutic, I can't deny that after I started reading them, there was a, a really big part of myself that was like, I want to do this. I want to sit down and write these. And it, 
it's tricky for me because it, it, you know, in the writing community, there is this very strong ethic of you don't steal somebody else's thing. And yet, I also know if I did something like that, I would end up with completely different things Absolutely. than what you right. have. And what I'm doing is very generic. I mean, Conversations with God is, you know, a best-selling acclaimed book out there. I didn't necessarily think, oh, I'm going to steal that and make this my own. It's just, it's right. a very kind of cliche, kind of uh, generic format, and that's probably why I started it. And it wasn't like, oh, this is really creative. No, but what is is every, you're exactly right. Everyone's story is a little bit different. We all experience suffering in our own way. But suffering is suffering to everyone. We all have challenges in our own way, but challenges are challenges. Um, like I was explaining to someone else the other day in an interview, is like I, my journey through grief and losing a loved one is radically that 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 story of losing a parent or whatever someone you love in your life. That story is different. But grief for everybody is a little bit universal. We all feel that loss. Mm -hmm. We all feel that same thing, but how we get through that loss, how we, uh, the people we meet and the experiences we have are all radically different. We could all write a piece to God about grief and how to get over it, and we all have a little bit different seasoning to put into that castle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I had this conversation with one of my grad school advisors a couple of years ago when I had it turned out misheard or not so much misheard, but misspelled in my head, a character from a Doctor Who episode called the Fisher King. Oh, yeah. I thought, you know, is this the, you know, legend Fisher King or have they put a spin on it and this means like a crack? And, and I told her, you know, I was really kind of disappointed when I saw that it was the legend spelling, you know, like going fishing spelling. And that now I wanted to know what the crack kind of Fisher King was because I was sure there was a great idea in it. And she wrote back to me and said, I know exactly what I would do with that, but I can't because it's yours. And I replied and I said, you know what, what you would do with it is completely different than what I would do with it. So I think you should run with it. Right. And if I ever come up with my own thing, I'll write my right. own thing. And then it worked for the book she was working on. She sent me a copy and I can't read that book because I still haven't figured out what I want. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, you know, not to draw everything back to improv, but I could, most of the time when I'm on stage performing improv and it's been a while, thanks to Captain COVID, but like nine times out of 10, I'm going to get the same suggestions every night. Um, the audience usually gives the same 20 suggestions for whatever, but if I'm there with my castmate, might get that same suggestion that I got the night before, and they're going to turn it into a completely different universe, a parallel yeah. universe. Yeah. Um, and there might be some themes that are the same, but it's their own, and it's their own interpretation of that. And that's what makes this amazing. Um, we are we are all experiencing this amazing ride in our own way, in our own perspective. And my perspective of God and spirituality is radically different than someone down the streets. Um, and that's great. It's, I only struggle with the people who want everyone to have the exact same experience with their spirituality. And, right, right. and they said, no, this is, this is how it is. And that's where I struggle. And that's, that's more my issue than theirs. That's fair. Yeah. 
I think it would be great to share some of these since we've been talking about okay. them. And and I'm told that in order to do this, I have to play God, which is a request I have never had before. Well, I just thought, you know, if I were a Hollywood casting agent and I was talking to both of us, deciding who is going to play God in this, it would definitely not be me. Um, so I've been ruled <laughs> out of the role of God just based on about a thousand different anecdotal reasons I could give you. So, yes, I think you should probably play God. That's that's totally fair. I will do my best. And we do have a little bit of an echo going on here, but we'll hope that that this works well, anyway. Maybe it'll be a dramatic echo for God. <laughs> there we go. So we're gonna start with an early one. Yes. And, and these early this early one was I, I do remember this was during my first 40 days when I was just treating this as fun little conversations between God and myself without any plans of where this was going. Um, and I think this one is called Waffles. And in this, I will play me. In, in these conversations, there's only usually two voices. There's me and there's God. And although the book is entitled, Hey God, Hey John, I intentionally don't, I, I, God, God says my name at the beginning. And then after that, it's just me. Because I want the reader to like put themselves in. I don't want it to be about John. Mm -hmm. I'm not that interesting. Um, so anyway, okay. Um, so I'll start. Hey, God. Hey, John. I'm going to pray. Great. It's been a long time. Okay. Uh, are you ready? Go for it. I want waffles. I think you have me confused with room service. Uh, make sure they bring some extra syrup up with them. I like to see how much maple syrup I can consume before I start hallucinating. You should try praying for other people. Oh, you think I should pray for someone else? Yep. Okay. I pray that someone will bring me some waffles. I'm taking the rest of the day off. And that was kind of the, how those posts for the first six, seven months went. It was, it was just, poking fun at the idea that people prayed to God for whatever they wanted, for funny things, for my sports team to win, for my kid to get straight A's, um, for my body to start looking more like Jude Law. That was part of my day, my evening prayer. Um, and, and so this this next post, um, I th this next one, I think we're going to do is the one that probably you led me to connect with you, if I'm guessing. Yes. And this one is remarkable. Um, uh, people have asked me about this post and asked me the genesis and thinking that, and I, I wish I had a great, really emotional story to tell people about how I came about writing this one. I, I don't remember writing it. Uh, this post has been shared about five or six million times, we guessed the made at this point. Um, it's the first post of mine that really went viral. I, so I, I started this, I started writing these conversations in 2015, and I've grinded during that time to about 20,000, 23,000 followers, but it's been like a little bit at a time. I've never really had a post really move around quite a bit. It's just been a slow climb. Mm -hmm. This one I wrote in 2017, and I wrote it, I don't remember writing it. I wish I could have a great story that I was writing it on a beach. And this bolt of lightning went above the head and the dove flew <laughs> and tears poured down my eyes. And 
those tears turned into ink in which I used to write this post. I don't have a great story. I just wrote it from a place of being a 40-something-year-old person feeling kind of untethered to what is my purpose? What, who am I? Mm-hmm. I'm a guy who all my other friends are like driving fancy cars and talking about their corner office or you know their law degree or whatever there is they're doing. And here I am driving a minivan, writing posts on Facebook and making like 30 cents a copy of a book. So I was really struggling with, and this is, this is obviously two and a half years into writing these posts. And I was starting to worry about, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And I was so concerned with who I needed to change and become. And that's where this, um, this post came from. It got shared quite a bit, um, to my surprise. So in 2017, I wrote it. And it got like 100 likes, and it was great. And, you know, everyone virtually high-fived each other. And then this last February, every now and then, I'll, I'll reshare a post from the past. Um, mm-hmm. And so it just happened to be I reshared this one right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it seemed like it resonated with people and their experience of how life felt. Life was changing, and people felt like, they were breaking and their perception of life and what mattered was being challenged. And I think, I, again, I wish I could tell people, no, I knew that this post would really resonate with you because what's going on in the world. But no, I just picked this one out of random to reshare. And it seemed like it connected with people in a way that I could have never, ever imagined. So, and I don't, I, I don't have a name for this one because this one isn't in a book. This one is just one I posted and wrote on Facebook and just put out there. And let me find it on my end. I had it. I just had it in front of me and it disappeared. No worries. It's interesting because I will bet you that this has been shared even more than you would imagine just because I'm looking at a post that somebody else copied and pasted the text and put your name at the bottom. So... You know, and I have yeah, no idea how many people have shared it from here. So it's probably gotten around a bit more than you think. Maybe. And I, yeah, I don't understand how any of this works. There is a, uh, there is a gentleman, uh, an actor, I think he was a daytime actor in Czechoslovakia, who was like a daytime soap star there. And I'm not going to pronounce his name because I would butcher it and I would humiliate him and myself by trying to do that. But he, he did a written, he did like a spoken word interpretation of it. And it got, that alone got a million views on his YouTube. So, wow. And so for me, that's, again, I wish I could say, oh, no, I, I knew, I knew that it's supposed to do that, but I have no clue. Um, so I hope we have the same version because every now and then someone would tinker with it a little bit, but we're going to improvise. Oh, we're going to say yes and. We're going to do our we're best. Gonna yes and this moment <laughs> and assume All right. we have the same version out there. But, um, and, and once again, just because you did so amazing, you should play God again in the Super <laughs> And this will kind of show a little bit how I started writing these posts early very lighthearted, self-concerned about what people thought, trying to make people laugh and you know feel comfortable with me doing this. And this was definitely a little bit more. I'm not okay. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Hey, God. Hello. I'm falling apart. Can you put me back together? I, I would rather not. Why? 
because you aren't a puzzle. What about all the pieces of my life that are falling down into the ground? Let them stay there for a while. They fell off for a reason. Take some time and decide if you need any of those pieces back. No, you don't understand. I'm breaking down. No, you don't understand. You're breaking through. What you're feeling are just growing pains. You are shedding the things and the people in your life that are holding you back. You aren't falling apart. You are falling into place. Relax. Take some deep breaths and allow those things you don't need anymore to fall off of you. Quit holding on to the pieces that don't fit you anymore. Let them fall off. Let them go. Once I start doing that, what's going to be left of me? Only the very best pieces of you. But I'm scared of changing. I keep telling you, you aren't changing. You are becoming. I'm becoming who? Becoming who I created you to be. A person of light and love and charity and hope and courage and joy and mercy and grace and compassion. I made you for more than the shallow pieces you have decided to adorn yourself with that you cling to with such greed and fear. Let those things fall off of you. I love you. Don't change. Become. Become. Become who I made you to be. I'm going to keep telling you this until you remember it. There goes another piece. Yep. Let it be. So, wait, I'm not broken? Of course not. But you are breaking like the dawn. It's a new day. Become. So, as you can see, there's a little bit of a difference. There's a little bit of an arc <laughs> from that first Just a little. to this one. Right? Yeah. Just a little. But but yeah, there's there's definitely a reason why that has made the rounds like it has. Yeah, it's it's been it's been really incredible. I, I I've been very fortunate. I've met a lot of amazing people, um, and and it's definitely challenged me to try to take my writing a little bit more seriously. I, I still I I still don't consider myself a professional writer, um, but I'm trying to do more things. I'm trying to act more professional about it, like you know, schedule this with you and, and be responding to emails <laughs> and, and being an adult. Um, but it's been an amazing experience. Well, I would, I would like to personally inform your guidance counselor <laughs> that you're a fantastic writer. Well, I, I will. As I, should be obvious at this point. In this I would interview. try to track him down and let him know. He was also, <laughs> he was also my journalism. I took a journalism class in college, which was an abject disaster. And I think that's where he formed his opinion of me. And uh, I, I still remember, I still remember that class that every time I came in and he said, I'm going to have a drinking problem because of you. So I maybe, hopefully I can find that out and say, you know, stop drinking. It's okay. Everything's gonna be yeah. okay. Oh, what a thing to say to someone. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing the things we say to people that we don't know at the time, we're just saying them, but that they sink in. He doesn't remember saying that to me, yes. but as a 19-year-old kid, I remember that he said that to me. That's, right. You know, that's just part of that's just part of life. Is we all get tangled up with one another, and we don't know when we're hurting someone's feelings and when it's going to become someone that they're going to be talked about at a podcast 20 some years later. You know. Uh, right. So. Well, and I I'm curious about one other thing, which is, when did you start doing video? Recently, um, recently, uh, 
because there was a uh, we I like I do live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We're not known as a hotbed of poetry uh, here. Um, <laughs> if it, you know, Garth Brooks is I think our our poet laureate here in Wyoming. I, but I did go to a coffee house thing once, and they said, "Hey, we're going to do some poetry. You should recite some poetry." I know you posted on Facebook. You're having a midlife crisis, and we see that you're posting this on Facebook. So you should come. And so I went and I found I connect more to it when I write, um, when I say it out loud, when I, I've written mm -hmm. something. And a lot of times I write in a way in which I feel like I'm speaking it, which is not how you're supposed to write anything. Um, I, I, I do remember that from my composition classes. Like you don't say, well, hello, everybody, and then start your piece. But then you would when you're writing, right. when you're speaking to a group. And I definitely write things in a way that I feel like I'm speaking them already. I feel like I'm having a conversation with somebody across. I mean, obviously the Hey God, Hey Johns are all conversation based, but even when I just write a straight up poem, I feel like I'm sitting across from someone in a coffee house and I'm telling somebody exactly what I need to say. And I try to write it in a way that's informal, but it's, but it's representative of how I'm feeling in that moment. And so I found saying it out loud helped me figure out which pieces I wanted, I, I loved, and I needed to perform them. And it just kind of fell into the same thing. It's like, well, if you're going to make videos of yourself doing that, you might as well go the entire not 10 yards and put them out there so your teenage children have to cringe every time they see their dad has another <laughs> So maybe there's some of it that I'm trying to punish my children by being their dad who has videos on the internet. Well, I, I stumbled on the 10 seconds video the other week, right around Thanksgiving. And I mean, from having read what I'd already read, I wasn't entirely surprised. I wasn't expecting something completely unlike anything I'd ever seen from you before, but it really blew me away. It made me cry. And I have been listening to it every morning since then. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I, again, I, I don't know where that came from, except I remember at the time feeling bad, probably about myself, my image, and just those things, those little lies, those little poisons we tell ourselves, and those little, those little paper cuts we give ourselves, and it builds up over time, and then you reach that breaking point. And I remember particularly one day feeling terrible, and I thought, what do I need someone to tell me right now? that even if it's all just rainbows and bs but what could someone tell me right now that would help remind me of our inherent dignity and worth as a human as this person that i believe created out of nothingness by something that i don't understand what could someone tell me about that to make me pull me out of this horrible place and so i i wrote it from there as if someone was talking to another person in, in the moment of crisis. And I, I like at the beginning, I think the beginning of the poem starts to say, I know I'm late, I know I have to get to my train or something like that. And I wrote it as if it were a conversation between two people, one person is lost and hurt and the other person is there to be a rock for them. And really that's what all relationships are for. We're, we're, we become in relationship with one another. So during those moments, someone's going to be the safe word. Someone's going to be there to help pull them out of the darkness. Um, otherwise, we'd all be robots. And so I, I wrote it based on that, based on an imaginary person standing in front of me, reminding me of that dignity and work. 
Well, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, you don't really know where it's going when it starts. And then it sort of hits you over the head in a really good way. And I think that the reason that, you know, it got to me was because we're not used to hearing somebody say those kinds of things to us. You know, you are this beautiful thing and you deserve to be here and you're amazing and you do it in a whole lot more detail than that. And I swear every time I listen to it, I notice something I didn't listen, didn't notice before. And, and it's really powerful that way, which is why I decided this would be a great way to start my day. And that's what I've been doing. So that's amazing. Uh, it's just all these unspoken things we don't say to one another um, that mm -hmm. we're all afraid to say things. We're so guarded with one another because we don't want someone to think that we love them. You know, I, I, grew yeah. up, I grew up in a house where my parents loved me very much. They took care of me, me and my brother. I was a little bit of an alien to them. Um, I was definitely, <laughs> I was definitely not what they were expecting in a kid. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a family that when I went to bed at night, you know, it was kind of a professional good night and we'll see you at work tomorrow kind of thing where, like, mm -hmm. but I know they loved me. They just didn't say it a lot. And I think on, on their deathbeds, they both did say it a lot. And it's one of those things like, man, I don't want to be a person who has um, these words stuck on my tongue in 40 years that I wish I would have said at the time because we don't know what tomorrow brings. And certainly this pandemic has taught us we have no idea what next the next five minutes is going to bring. And it's so like, say right. everything you need to say to someone right now. And I know it's cliche, but I guess you know, that's, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Say, tell the people in your life how much they mean to you. Forgive people because you don't want to be 70 years old sitting in a chair looking back at all these missed opportunities in which you could have saved someone's life by telling them that they're beautiful and they're worthy. And you don't, you don't want to be the person who won't let people say those things to them. And that's the other side of the coin is sometimes we don't let people say those things to us. They might say it, we just don't believe them. Um, it's, it's kind of a double role. Like I've had plenty of times in my life where I felt really bad. And someone will say something, but I won't let them, I won't listen because I don't, I don't want mm -hmm. to believe them. Um, and so that's what that piece is about. It's a, a very raw emotional moment between two people. I think even, even when you're not in that place, it can be very hard to hear that much. I'm not sure what the right word is. I mean, it, it really, it's almost like listening to it is like listening to a waterfall of all the things you ever wanted someone to tell you, but that you've been afraid weren't true. Right. No. And I think that that makes it very hard to hear, even, even when you're not actively in a place where you're pushing it away. Right. Right. Um, and it was hard. I do remember that when it was very difficult for me to write. And even when I recorded it and put it on Facebook as a video, I usually only do things in one take. Um, and if I screw up halfway through, that's just my wink and nod to whoever's watching. It's like, yes, I'm not a professional. This is, you know, wink and nod. <laughs> I'm going to fail as much as I'm going to succeed. We all do. So let's all get over it. But that was when I think I took a couple takes because I became really uncomfortable with some of the things I was even telling myself in it. Um, but that's still the work that needs to be done. Um, that's the perfection that I still carry with me. But that, that piece is definitely one of my favorites.
yeah, likewise. And, and, you know, the other thing is, I think that it wouldn't be so hard to hear those things if we didn't know somewhere that they're true. Right. Right. And it hurts because sometimes we know, we know that we're worthy and we know that we're, we're, we have a purpose and we know that I have as much right to my life as anyone else. And just because someone might have an easier life or whatever, it doesn't make my life any less worthy in the eyes of God or love or source or whatever that is. But we forget it along the way. And then to be reminded of that, it stings because we think back at all the times in our lives in which we didn't treat ourselves with those that respect. We didn't treat ourselves with dignity. And we look back and say, I mean, I look back and there's been probably years and decades in which I had forgotten those those things. And you look back and say, Yeah, what how much how many missed chances did I have to give myself forgiveness? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it, it's a tough one. It is, but it's a good one. And that's part of why I decided something I should listen to more often. I think we could all all use a hit of that every once in a while. Yeah. So I'm very, very grateful to you for writing it and recording it. I think it's even more powerful because of the way that you recorded it. So, and I'm grateful to you for coming and talking to me for a while. This has been fabulous. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful. This has been amazing. That's this week's episode. My thanks to John Rodell for joining me and as always to you for listening. Do check out the links in the show notes and share this episode with a friend. See you next time. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.